This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website, www.anchorchurch.com.au. Amen and amen. Now, I don't have Australian stats on this, but uh, they um, surveyed a bunch of Americans, right? Uh, of one which I am uh, kind of proud, but... On average, Americans wait about 20 minutes a day for a bus or a train. Uh, 32 minutes whenever they visit a doctor. And I imagine this is going to be similar for us Australians. I am a citizen. 28 minutes they spend in security lines whenever they travel. Uh, 21 minutes they spent uh, waiting for the significant other to get ready. 21 minutes. Uh, They spend about 13 hours annually waiting on hold for customer service. Thank you, Telstra. 38 hours each year waiting in traffic. And those who live in big cities wait about 50 hours a year in traffic. And all up, it it looks to about 37 billion hours are spent waiting in line. And so we're going to spend approximately six months of our lives, six months of our lives waiting in line for things. Three days a year queuing up. The average person is going to spend about 43 days on hold with an automated customer service representative. And those who take the bus will wait about 27 days of their lives. If you're waiting for the 440 on Parramatta, I don't know, 39 days. That's how I feel anyway. We're not accustomed to waiting. Even as uh, much of our lives are are sort of tuned to the song of waiting, uh, our culture really doesn't... uh, Uh, prepare us to wait well. There was a study done out of the University of Massachusetts where uh, a website uh, was looked at 6.7 million unique visits to a website. I'm not sure if it was YouTube or or some other streaming platform. But if a video buffered for two seconds, it was abandoned. So if a video buffered, if you went online and you went to YouTube, uh, I don't know, to, to learn that dance routine when no one else is watching, uh, and it buffered for, for two seconds, you would drop off. And for every additional second, there was a 6% drop off. We are not accustomed to waiting. Our culture doesn't create people who wait well. But this is the problem. The problem is that a lot of our life, uh, an essential aspect of our humanity, and especially uh, as we are being renewed in Christ, is waiting. We must learn to, to, to wait well. And that, this is why I think Advent is such an incredibly uh, potent invitation, such, such an opportunity for us to stop and to be trained into how to wait well. Because in the age that we are of iPhones and microwaves and Netflix and Uber and whatnot, we, we're not immune as believers to, uh, uh, we're not immune to this idea that we shouldn't wait. We're, we're all encultured and we, we're all shaped by the story of our culture, which, said, which says this, that waiting, really what waiting does is that it diminishes you. That waiting diminishes you somehow. That unless we become consumers that consume now, and like, like right now, then somehow we, uh, it, it's crushing to us or it's debilitating to us. When, when was the last time that we were able to just wait? And I believe the Advent season has something for us where 
waiting is not experienced as debilitation or crushing, but actually waiting helps to enlarge our souls. That we actually become deeper people, that we become truer people, that we become people who are able to listen to the voice of God, that we become people of depth and justice and beauty and love. And this is why I feel Advent is so important to kick this off for us. I love the way uh, that Eugene Peterson talks about this, the the way he talks about waiting and and the way he translates Romans 8, which talks about the, the earth waiting for renewal and the people of God waiting for renewal. This is what he says. So Romans 8, 22 to 25, this is from the message. It'll be behind me as well. He says this, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. I love that. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're, we're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting, listen, that is why Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in our waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. I love that picture of waiting, not diminishing us, but enlarging us. And we're all waiting for something. But Advent trains us to wait for the good things, to wait for the main thing. We were all created to commune and be with God. That is the whole story of the Bible. Let me just wrap it up for you. There's a lot that you need to read in there. But if I'm going to give you a summary of the Bible, it's this. The scriptures tell the story of a God who wants to create a people to rule through and to dwell with. He wants to be with his people. He wants to be with us. And yet we don't experience that. And we wait for the day when we will see him again. And so often in, in, in our other forms of waiting, whether uh, um, uh, you, you're waiting for a job to come through, whether you are waiting for the two blue lines on the pregnancy test, whether you are, are waiting for, for something to happen in your life, so often uh, we ask God to, to look at our circumstances. And in our waiting, we focus more on our circumstances. And, and his hands is on your circumstances. I'm not saying that God is absent from your circumstances, but so much more, even while his hands are in your circumstances, his eyes are on your character while you wait. And so waiting is an opportunity not to be diminished, but but to grow. As important as what God is gonna do for you to end your waiting, what he's gonna do for us as, as Jesus reveals his glory on the day of his reckoning, as important as that is, he is also looking at what he is doing in you while you're waiting. That is so incredibly important because waiting characterizes the Christian faith. Waiting characterizes being human. In fact, about 135 times our scriptures talk about waiting. Waiting for God, waiting, waiting, waiting. And this is where our text comes in because uh, uh, this, this waiting isn't just for us to encounter the, the humble incarnate Christ, but this waiting also is a waiting for his glory to be revealed, for rights to be wronged. 
And so I want to read to you again from Isaiah 64. Turn with me, Isaiah 64, uh, 1. To one I'm going to read the first couple of verses. Oh, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Can, can, you, can you picture that? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. These immovable structures of the earth. Think about that. I'm not sure if anyone here has been a, a part of an earthquake. I, I've never. But a couple of weeks ago, someone explained to me what that felt like, and it was just unreal that the earth would be moving. And it says when, when Jesus appears, when, when God's glory comes down, the, even the mountains will quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. And so let me give you a snapshot of what's happening here in the book of Isaiah. This is about uh, uh, 700 years before Jesus comes. And this is uh, a prophecy that Isaiah gives about what is going to happen when, when God comes to uh, bring, bring right to the wrongs of, of the world. And when Jesus came, his people, Israel, they believed that they were to expect a political, primarily a political Messiah. Someone that would come in and with force force out the Roman oppressors. And so as they saw this, they were, they were waiting for this. They, 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 were, they were anxious for this. They were saying, finally, we will be free of the hundred years of oppression that we have been under. For so many centuries, we can finally be free. But what we notice and what Brad's going to be speaking about next week is that God does things, as the text says, that we just don't expect and instead of waiting for this uh, sort of warrior figure, he comes as a child. And we wait for the, 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 un, the, the weird ways that God comes and visits us. And so this season trains us to, to not just look at what we think we need God to be for us. That's so important for us to not mold and shape this grand being, the, 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 the one that, that, that opens up his mouth and stars come out and we, we mold him into our, our butler as it were. But he comes in unexpected ways and we wait for that. This teaches us to wait, to not, to, to not just wait for uh, the way that we think God needs to come to us the way that we think he needs to solve our circumstances, our situations, financial, relational, whatever it is. But he comes to us in unexpected ways. And this is what Advent is all about. It's waiting for the one that's going to make things right. And so we wait. It reminds us of the God who becomes human, who becomes weak, who becomes frail. Do you... Do you get that? Do you get that? That the one who created all things, the one who opens up his mouth and light comes bursting out, the one who says, let there be light and, 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 and let, let there be stars and moons and planets, that God has come to us. And we celebrate that and we cherish that and we still wait. And we still wait. We wait for the consummation. We wait for his return. We wait for disease to be no more. 
We wait for a government that isn't broken and corrupt. We wait for depression and pain and anxiety and racism to end. We wait for the day that wars will cease and peace will actually reign. We yearn for the day where no one will need to feel that they need to put a needle in their arm to dull the pain. We long for the day where no babies are killed, where poverty doesn't exist, where the day that humanity no longer rapes and pillages the earth for its own gain. We wait for the day where economic and social oppression will be eradicated. We still wait for God to come and judge and do right. In essence, what we're saying is that we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. We continue to wait for the return of Jesus. And Advent isn't just training us to wait for his first humble coming, but Advent trains us to wait and to listen and to intently engage in the world that he will come back to. He will come back here, like to, to this world. This isn't going to happen in our imagination or our hearts, as it were. He's coming back here. And the fearsomeness of that means that it's not, listen, something that often maybe isn't, isn't spoken about, but is that Jesus is, is going to come back and he will judge every single one of us. Maybe if you're a Christian, you think, oh, but, but I believe in Jesus. I, I, I believe he, he took my punishment on the cross and therefore I won't be judged. And, and that is true. He, he has taken your punishment. You will be pronounced not guilty on the day of judgment. But every single one of us, the scriptures say, will be judged. I want you to sit there for just a moment where Jesus says these words. For me, some of the scariest words in scripture. He says that every single word uttered, we will have to give an account for. Every single word I have ever said, I will have to go to the creator of the universe and say, okay, this is why. Every single word will be judged. And the beauty of the gospel the beauty of the gospel is that even when we give an account for every careless word Jesus says that we have ever given, he's going to do that to us if we receive him in, in faith as, as a father, not a judge. That's what we wait for. We wait for the day of full embrace and communion with the father. So Advent doesn't just train us to wait for his humble Comings, but he it trains us to wait for his fearsome and the beautiful day of the Lord. But there's a third way that Advent, or rather a third reason how Advent trains us. And that is to train us to be the kind of people to receive him in our everyday. God is coming to each and every single one of us through the body, through scripture. He visits us every day. I love that idea that God comes to visit. All throughout the Bible, you see that with, with Abraham and with David. You, you hear Jesus saying this in uh, the high priestly prayer, the, the discourse in the book of John where he calls us his friends. You get that? That, that God wants to be your friend. Like, I, I feel that the essence of God's heart is, is friendship with those that he has created. And so... We need to train ourselves. We partner with the Spirit to train to learn 
how to wait. And one of the things that's been incredibly helpful for me as I've led my family and gospel community, is how to, what does it look like to learn as a community to wait? And there's an ancient tool that Christians have been practicing for almost 2,000 years. And it helps situate Advent, and it helps situate our every day. Now, this is an invitation for you. And, and uh, historically, this has been called either the liturgical calendar or the Christian calendar. I don't care what you use, whatever you're less allergic to. Uh, but this, this way of viewing time is, is different. So often, uh, our view of time is taken up uh, by our semesters or trimesters or what papers we need to hand in or the financial year or, or, or whatever it is. And I'm not saying to get rid of those things. That, 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 would, be, that would be foolish. But I wonder if those aren't the, the, if that's not the way that we primarily view our time, what that would change. What if, what if there was a way to view all of time through the lens of the gospel? And so there's a way called, uh, again, the liturgical calendar. It's going to be behind me up here. And it really begins, it kicks off with Advent and Christmas. And this is our new year. This, this season that we're in really is the way that we can tell a whole story of the gospel, and this is where it kicks off, that God visits us. And that is marked by our longing for Christ. The season of Advent is, is if, if, if Advent, I don't know, if, if this had a smell or if this was a candle, if this had a scent, the scent would be longing, if, if you can put that in a bottle. And so Advent creates this longing for Christ to visit us in his humble incarnation, in his fearsome glory at the end of time, and in our every day. And then Christmas, really, uh, the, the scent of that would be the arrival of Christ, that Jesus has come, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, has come. And then Epiphany is a, a part of the year where we look at the revelation of Christ, where, where Jesus reveals himself by being baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River and the heavens open up and a dove comes down and rests on him. And a voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so we celebrate that. And then right after, we, we celebrate Lent. We celebrate the, the sufferings of Christ, the, the, the humanity of humanity, as it were. Our limitedness, our brokenness, our weakness. The fact that we are made of dust and will return to dust. And that, but that's not the end of the gospel story. Then there's Easter, where we get to celebrate the indestructible life of Christ, which is yours. Every single person who follows Jesus, every single person who has said Jesus is Lord has an indestructible life. And we live as if all we have are 70 or 80 years. So we try to maximize that and we forget about eternity. But let me remind you, you have in Christ an indestructible life. And we get to celebrate that every Easter. And then Pentecost. Right, Joel 2, the prophecy in Joel 2 that, that's fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 where the Spirit is sent by Jesus who is ascended and on the throne. He gives us his Spirit. And now we are all walking many temples of the Holy Spirit. And then ordinary time. I don't like that name, ordinary time. I should have changed that. That's what it's been called for you know, nearly two millennia and I'm, I feel kind of silly saying, I want to change that. But it's not, it's, there's nothing ordinary 
about the mission of God in the world. There's nothing ordinary about saying we are now the spirit indwelt people of God and we are sent out on mission. And this whole way of overlaying our calendars is a way to say that each and every single day we're going to remind ourselves that the real anchor point of our, of our calendars and our diaries is not what bills we need to pay or papers we need to submit or projects we need to complete or laundry we need to do, but it's the story of the gospel. And I want us to think about, uh, about it like this. If, if, uh, if your semester timetable or, or the fiscal year or, or anything like that, if that is oftentimes that's where we operate out of. But I want to say, if this were a phone, if this were an iPhone, allow the liturgical or Christian calendar, again, whatever you're least allergic to, allow that to be the operating system underneath it all. Allow all the decisions you make to be colored and tainted with the hue of what God has done in the person and work of Jesus. That is what Advent is about. It trains us to wait well. From of old, Isaiah says, verse 4, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. I want to be a people who wait well. Because what happens so often is when we don't feel God is coming through for us, we enter into relationships we shouldn't. When we don't feel that God is, come, is not coming through for us, we'll enter into maybe a work that we shouldn't enter into. We make decisions based on this gap that we feel that God is not filling What does it look to faithfully wait for the king of glory who says good things about us? That's the purpose of Advent. That is my heart. I want us to be a a waiting, faithful people who know, who know this in your, know this in your bones that from of old, no one has heard. There's no God like this. There's no idol that can compare to God, who is like him? And yet we lift up relationships and work and our bodies and autonomy and freedom up to the level of this is where I find my identity. There's no one like him who acts for those who wait for him. And so we hope, we hope in the coming of Jesus. We hope and we know, and I'm not talking about, oh, I hope it's sunny tomorrow. There's a sure hope that we bank our life on. Eugene Peterson says this about hope and about waiting. He says, hoping doesn't mean doing nothing. Hoping does not mean doing nothing. We often think hope is this passive uh, sort of laid back, or well, I'll just, I'll just hope that something, you know, that, that God comes through. Hoping does not mean doing nothing. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations, of scurrying and worrying, and hoping is not dreaming. Hoping is not dreaming. It's not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. Hoping Knowing that Christ is coming one day isn't to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation 
that God will do whatever he said he will do. I love that. It means a confident and alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. Sorry, I, I love that. The, 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 the fact that maybe so often uh, a lot of us grew up in churches where uh, uh, faith it meant just sort of like a cerebral sort of prefrontal cortex kind of existence in the world. But following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is, is so much more than that. It is about having our imaginations enraptured by the beauty and the glory of Christ. And, and the Christian calendar, paying attention to that, is a way, it's an invitation, it's not a command, it's an invitation for us to enter into having our imaginations enraptured by the gospel, by the story of God. It is willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. And so this idea that Advent reorients, it repaints, it recasts our imagination. And one of the ways that, uh, one of the gifts that we've been given as humans is to pray. We often think that uh, uh, praying is, is particularly a, a religious experience. And while it is, because we humans are religious, that's just who, that's what we are. Uh, but prayer is, is a gift given to us particularly to commune with God and with Jesus. And so even as humans being renewed in the image of Christ, prayer is a gift that's been given to us to not only uh, think about God, but to have our imaginations be transformed by him. And so I want to lead us in a prayer. It's a very simple prayer. It's a prayer that's been around for thousands of years. It's the Lord's Prayer. You may have memorized it when you were a kid. Uh, but so oftentimes we, we pray in our heads when we're in, in, in the gathering or, or we pray in our hearts as such. But God gave us vocal cords and we're going to use them this morning. And it's okay that you may feel maybe a little awkward. That, that's okay. God is awkward. And so I'm going to lead us in the Lord's Prayer, and I want us to do this together as a family. So I'll say a couple lines, you repeat after me, and then we're going to sing our lungs out to this king who took off his crown to be a, a child, to be vulnerable, to live the life that we could never live, to die the death that you and I deserve, to then be resurrected in life, to then be ascended into heaven, to sit at the right hand of God in power and in glory, and he poured out his spirit on us, and one day he will come back and he will renew everything. We'll sing to that. We'll sing to him. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory 
forever and ever. Amen and amen. Bless you.